are listening to Quarantined Comics. I'm Ryan. I'm Roman. And we're going to talk about Superman Smashes the Clan by Jean Lun Yuang. And initially, we were going to post this a little bit later, but given the events that have happened in light of the, the George Floyd killing, we think it's probably more appropriate to post this episode sooner rather than later. Well, and it's worth saying also, by no means are two Asian guys, Ryan and Roman, and, and on this episode, our guest Carl, a white guy, do we purport to be commenting on the situation that's going on outside? Ryan, I'll share our thoughts maybe just now but we've recorded like five or six of these and they're all great about different comics and this one the topic of it just felt relevant relevant yeah it felt relevant yeah one of the things we we get into is that super man smashes the clan is is taking on racism but it's really meant for for children so there is sort of a simplistic view of it i think by necessity the situation that led to the current protests going back to like arbory what was essentially a public a, a lynching of arbory in, in alabama and then the incident with christian cooper in central park and culminating in the i mean execution essentially of, of george floyd in minneapolis those situations are, are just so complex and you know kind of looking back on superman versus the clan one thing it doesn't really address is the institutionalized racism that kind of led to the the current situation yeah this is look this is a it's not a fun comic it's a serious comic with fun my sister older sister uh, married to a black guy so her two kids are effectively black she texted me over the weekend and was like hey for a friend what comics would you recommend? Because I'm the comic book nerd in the family. The first thing I told her was March. If you haven't read March, you should. Like, honestly, if you want a book to try to understand the progress or lack thereof in this country, start there. You know, there's good stuff out there. But then I actually told her Superman versus the Klan. In this episode, I actually think I mentioned, should kids read this book? And I was specifically asking Brian and Carl, because I want to buy this book for my nephew, even though it's about Superman in the 40s and a Chinese American family. It introduces the idea of hate and even combines. I, I don't know if we've talked about this, Ryan. Like, I have this point of view of this thing called comic book morality. There is right and wrong. I don't think there are two sides to some things. And I, I hate that certain people say that there are two sides to some things. There is right and wrong. And that is comic book morality. Captain America, Superman, you, you know, they, they draw a line in the sand. I guess. Other people could interpret their line as being different, further to the right or further to the left than mine. But this is a good, it's not an escape, but it is a good piece of fiction that talks about the topic. Doesn't even tackle it, talks about it. Well, I think I think the fact that it is kind of an introduction to, I mean, racism is learned, right? And so when you ask, is this a good book for kids? I think it absolutely is because this kind of, this is kind of a good way to break into that dialogue about racism if you have children. Eventually, obviously the, the topic of racism gets much more complex. There's that individualized racism, which kind of permeates the events and Superman smashes the Klan. And then as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, there's the institutionalized racism, which is much more complex and insidious and that is interwoven into society. And that's not a topic, I don't think, that comes up in Jean Lun Yang book. But that's fine. I mean, it, it, I, I kind of think of this as this sort of that introduction where you kind of look at racism, how it is learned, how it is passed down from one generation to the next. And that's where you can kind of begin that discourse with whichever young people are, are in your family. Yeah. And so one kind of parting note from my side is when you listen to this, recognize that the context of the episode was a week or two ago. 
yes, these things have been around, but the eruption in our society had not yet happened. But honestly, Carl, Ryan, and I, it's on our mind a little bit in the conversation. But so this this episode is by no means a reaction to what's going on, but our decision to to pull it forward, to take one of our latest episodes that just happened to be about a semi-relevant topic ahead of other things like Miracle Man or Rusty Brown or Scott Pilgrim versus the world, sillier or scarier comics. Just felt like this was the right time to bring this one forward. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And coming up next, Quarantine Comics reviews Superman smashes the clan. So just to double check, are you ready? Uh, I am. I am ready. Oh, boy. That sounds like someone who's not ready. <laughs> Why, hello there, and welcome to Quarantine Comics, a podcast where we reread and sometimes rediscover or discover some of comics' greatest stories to see how they hold up when we talk about them for far too long. I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two nerdly friends who pretend to know what they're actually talking about. And today we're all about smashing. And I'm Carl Preisner. Oh, God. Edit that guy out. <laughs> Edit him out. Edit it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that guy, the interloper, the alien, so to speak, in our midst. This week, we're talking about Superman Smashes the Clan, written by Jean Lun Yang and illustrated by his longtime illustration partners, uh, Guri Huru, which I probably mispronounced. I accidentally discovered Jean Lun Yang's poignant work at the library years ago when I first read this book called American Born Chinese. And I've been quickly started just following all of his other work, like Boxers and Saints. Most recently, I actually read Dragon Hoops, which he usually writes and draws everything. And it's worth noting, up until recently, Yang was a part-time indie comics creator and a full-time high school math teacher and a parent. DC Comics actually offered him the writing reins of Superman, like the mainstream Superman comics, which he provided a really unique angle for the actual Chinese point of view of Superman. And he stopped teaching to go into comics full-time. And for anyone who's been a fan of the amazing award-winning cartoon Avatar The Last Airbender, Yang was actually tapped to write the continuing adventure graphic novels of Avatar Aang and his crew, which is where uh, Yang actually paired up with Kurihiru, which is actually a pen name for an artist colorist team in Japan. So when I heard about these two, Yang and Kurihiru teaming up for this book, Superman Smashes the Clan, which is based on a 1940s radio drama of Superman's fight for truth, justice, and the American way alongside a Chinese-American family and against the forces of what I would argue are real evil, white supremacy, I was all in. Uh, as a kid of the South, a card-carrying member of the Southern Property Law Center, which is a real-life super team that has actually smashed the Klan, I probably placed some pretty high expectations on this book, and I wasn't let down. So when I had to think about which comic book nerd friend to bring along for the ride besides Ryan... The I'm the token Chinese... Token Chinese guy. That's the only reason we're reading this. The first person I actually thought of was my longtime pal and fellow fighter of all things evil. Carl Preisner. Hi, Roman. Hey. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Carl. <laughs> Good to be here. Tell us about yourself, your background, your comic book interests, and honestly, what you do for a living, because I think that's partially relevant to today's book. Well, all right. Uh, so I live in Cincinnati. I've been collecting comics since, you know, it would have been junior high sometime. I grew up in St. Louis. I'm trying to remember if I could think what my first comic was, but would go to the comic book stores, collected Iron Man, have some of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Eastman Laird's, G.I. Joe, a whole bunch of stuff, and then stop for a long time. And then I think, Raman, it was when we found ourselves living in the same building that you kind of got me hooked again. And now that I got a bit free spending cash, been been reading comics ever since. Well, I love and, it. and the one thing you did that kind of screwed me in a way was you bought me i think it was yeah, walking yeah. dead walking the dead. mega 
yeah. But you not yeah. you didn't just buy me a comic or no. soft cover. You bought me the hardcover. No. Then being the OCD person I am, I can only buy the hardcover. So I would always be behind waiting for the hardcovers to come out. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's like having to wait a full year after a show ends till it comes out on Netflix so you can watch it all as opposed to just watching individual episodes. But yeah, it was a good comic though, right? There's yeah. a there's a whole podcast on that one. Well, I want to ask Carl, we actually had I had you on another podcast about your day job and I I actually your day job is something you evolved into, but your day job I think is tangentially relevant to this comic. You, you put on spandex and fight crime? <laughs> no, he's in the clan. Carl's in the clan. <laughs> he's on the other side. That's great. This show this show just took a radical turn. The the topics <laughs> literally a radical turn. Well, so I work at PNG and I'm senior manager for global diversity and inclusion at PNG. And I think it's an important role. I, I think it's bringing forward conversations that need to be had. That's what I love about the role you're in. And I think that's what I love about this comic book, frankly. Well, it's interesting because I was looking at this comic book again today. You know, I was just rereading it since we were for the show. And I was, the idea occurred to me of, hmm, could I make a class out of this? Could, could we make this part of our, I don't know, maybe. Well, I, I rambled on a little too much about the show. What do you guys, like, Ryan, what'd you think about the overall, overall thoughts of the book or how'd you had you heard of it? What was your impression when I mentioned I wanted us to read this? What do you guys think? I kind of responded in two different ways. First, Superman as a character and how you write him. Superman is so powerful that pretty much any problem is no problem for him. So I was genuinely curious how Yang, just kind of from an artistic perspective, would have Superman take on the clan because it would seem that it would be absolutely... No contest. So I was curious about the book from that perspective. Second perspective is that I am a Chinese American. I don't see Chinese Americans, Asian Americans, really represented that often in comics. And Roman, I know you and I have had debates about Iron Fist being a white guy, the character who's fundamentally based off of Bruce Lee, who takes every aspect of Bruce Lee, but except his ethnicity into who he is. And so that was the other thing. I was kind of excited. We've to... also debated the ancient one, to be clear. Oh, <laughs> uh, we've also debated the ancient I, one as the ancient one up. appears in in Marvel Comics. And I've got a, oh, to me that don't send me down that tangent because that's going to get <laughs> a little bit heated. So that was the other aspect where I was really interested to see what Yang does. I'm not too familiar with Yang's work. I read American Born Chinese probably in my early 20s. And it resonated with me personally in terms of how to reconcile my identity with being both Chinese and American. And in this one, it was kind of refreshing to see Superman actually interact with the Chinese community. In a way, a lot of the times when Chinese Americans appear in comics, they are marginalized, their background. They don't play a central role. So in that instance, I was really kind of gratified to see Yang kind of just dive straight into this. Well, I feel that Superman was, even though he's on the title character, I felt like he was a supporting character in this book. The the Lee family was was the main character. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. I mean, specifically Roberta and Tommy, I feel like a large part of the book actually centered around the relationship between Roberta and Tommy and their attempts to to acclimate into this new community. And then kind of Superman was there to sort of push things forward, add the superhero aspect, and also to underscore a lot of what Roberta and Tommy was going through. Because one thing I like that Yang did is he sort of emphasized 
Superman's otherness, the fact that he is not of this world, and the fact that even growing up in Smallville, there were moments where he knew he was different, and he actually held himself back from doing everything he could do, like flying. Well, his because arc, he was aware arc, that would make him not, you know, that, that would show that he is not human. Yeah, the arc is his coming out as an alien story as well. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, what about you? Imp- overall impressions or thoughts? Yeah, you know, I was intrigued by the title, Superman Smashes the Clan. And I think what intrigued me about it was I, I was just curious how they were going to deal with a topic like racism in America, which the Klan's right at the heart of, and Superman, who... In some sense, I think what the Klan represents is not something you can just smash with your fists. And so I'm like, okay, I I was really interested, but maybe a bit, I don't know, dubious that this is something we could deal with in a comic book. Why were you you dubious? Well, maybe it was as much the character, right? I mean, certainly there are comic books. If you look at Mouse or or, or comic books like Vive for Vendetta, we're long past when comics are kids' material. So I don't, I don't mean that. I, I think it was definitely Superman, right? Superman smashes the Klan in a title is is kind of like uh, it. It feels camp of a title, right? This is Batman from like nineteen seventies. The word smash showing up in these bubble letters that just pop out of the screen. That was how it hit me, right? It, it, so the, the cover of the book, to me, was queuing up the comic bookie of it. And so they didn't have to do that. So maybe that's what I was thinking. Okay, Superman. And, and I didn't know anything about the author. I had to, to look up Gene's history. So anyway, so I, I think that's kind of like my first impression. And I didn't know this when I heard of the book. I, I remember when it I saw the press about the issues coming out. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'm definitely getting that graphic novel and just kind of stirred in the back of my head. And when I found out the release date was so close to one of our recordings, I actually moved the schedule around because I've really been wanting to read this. But the thing I discovered when I saw some of the PR around it was this is based on a 40s radio drama where, again, it's loosely based on it. Yeah, but I tried to find it. Yeah, Superman. It was a, apparently a 16-part a series in 1946 and it was the clan of the fiery cross storyline and a couple interesting things to note about this one gene had heard of it the original storyline is in california with a chinese american family the characters aren't as fleshed out but back in the day you know superman kind of broke all the records from a comic book standpoint and pretty much kicked off the superhero genre but superman on the radio was like a sensation before they did the like the clan thing and around the same time i don't know if you guys read the the notes at the end of the book it's a really good essay by gene yang he talks about what was going on in america in terms of the formation of the clan at the time the radio drama decided to take on the clan you know very carefully they looked at a lot of different storylines but the clan was i think in its second resurgence and it was a popularized thing that they were trying to pull the pants down on And I don't know, I just, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know they were going to go into the 40s. I didn't know it was going to be a year one story. I thought it was really cool and interesting that he had the black Superman logo and all the art, like, because that's the Kingdom Come Superman. And apparently... Well, he also had a yellow, uh, the yellow outline to the symbol of the, on a symbol, which is something that was there when Superman first appeared. And then they kind of went away with it. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, you're setting this in... What, the 19, what, the when did they set this? 1940s. 1940s. Yeah, which I thought was really, uh, 
you know, kind of inspirational just from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, it kind of situates Superman in a specific moment in time, which I really liked. Yeah, he can't fly. He's he's leaping. Right, he's leaping. You know, he didn't fly until a little bit later into his, I guess, career. His He initially literally did leap buildings with a single bound, but he was still subject to the laws of gravity. And not to be comic book nerdy about that, but the reason, I don't know what the true history of the evolution in the continuity is, but in this book, it's he was holding in his conversations with his alien parents, which happened in this book. He's holding himself back because he wants to fit in. He wants to look human and he's not embracing who he really is. And the thing, there was one moment in this book that just stuck out for me and it hurt to read. It's I think after the two kids dealt with the clan or the cross burning and the boy Tommy is at the youth center and he's making jokes about, you know, we fried him like a wonton. And it, yeah, and his sister, I know it just, here's why it made me cringe. As a teenage boy, I would put on the Indian accent because people would laugh at it, mm. you know? And just to see his sister calling him out, even if it was in the thought balloons, right? I was like, fuck. Like, it was, it was just like the most accurate thing in the entire book. Like that moment. Yeah, that no, that was a really insightful moment from Yang. The way he depicts how both Roberta and Tommy are trying to acclimate. Roberta is just trying to figure herself out, and Tommy's making these self-deprecating jokes centered around his race. And I can relate to that too. The, you know, where you use kind of the humor, you kind of acknowledge your own Asianness, and you almost kind of use the humor to sort of deflect. You kind of sense, okay, other people are thinking, you know know that I'm Chinese. I'm going to embrace it fully and I'm going to try to, you know, deflect or try to embrace their idea, but with humor. But it can also, there's a kind of a fine line between doing that and coming off as very, very cringy. You know, Tommy, of weren't, course, crosses Weren't they born in Chinatown or did I get that part wrong? Yeah. So they're Amer the kids, I believe, you don't know where they were born, but yeah, they moved okay. to Maine Metropolis from Metropolis Chinatown. Yeah. They're more Americanized certainly than their parents are. But they're still fully aware of the fact that they are Chinese and that they don't look like like everybody else. Well, and just to like, the other, this one last moment for me, the very last moment where Roberta, this spoils the whole book, so I hope you've read it if you're listening, is when she goes <laughs> back to, let's just cut to the end, one that's early. She, she gives this pen back to Lois Lane because the initials clearly said Lois Lane. And she was like, no. I found out what your Chinese name was, Lan Chen Li. Butchered that, I'm sure. And it was like this, you don't have to be Roberta. You can you can use your Chinese name. I don't know. Just like the, the payoffs with the two main characters in my mind, Roberta and Tommy, they paid off so hard because they were really well fleshed out characters. Well, they, I just figured that, that every romantic interest in Superman's life has LL as initials. So we, <laughs> we, we know what Roberta's future is. And we, and we know Jimmy Olsen likes Asian girls now. So, you know, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen likes all girls. So. I was curious who the adults were at the very end when Superman is fighting Grand Scorpion and and Grand Scorpion's like, hey, let's, you know, this guy's an alien. Let's take him out. And there's some adults that were like, yeah, send him back where he came from. I don't think those were actual characters. They kind of just emblemized sort of yeah just the crowd but what i noticed about that in that moment it's both generations 
Because if you notice on that page, everyone who's saying, yeah, go back where you came from, it's the adults. All the kids are like, what? It's friggin' Superman, dude. (laughs) To me, it's generational. I think that was very intentionally done, I guess. Carl, you said something earlier about whether this was the right medium or the right way to kind of confront the subject matter. And I was actually kind of thinking about that when I first saw this book. There's always a sort of skepticism whenever you have like a superhero trying to deal with a real world situation, a really heavy, a very special like episode, racism. right? <laughs> a very special episode where Lois Lane turns into a black woman. Hey, um, let, let's be clear. Didn't Arsenal or Speedy? He was he had a heroin problem. Speedy had yeah, Speedy had a heroin. That was a uh, that was Green Arrow's sidekick, right? Yeah, Speedy. Yep. Also DC, DC gets it real, man. I think but, it's the complexity of topics, right? That, yeah, that adds that for me. That because right I mean you said very special episode you, the, the medium might suggest we wanted to start and wrap up neat and tidy uh, that's not always yeah that's not always possible yeah no I was thinking about that too that was, there was an element of skepticism there because it's sort of like really Superman's gonna take on this is like wish fulfillment but you know then I was thinking well technically every superhero story is a form of wish fulfillment and even if it's simplified which you know it is you know when you look at the clansmen they are kind of just cackling villains i do kind of appreciate that there are two villains one who's motivated by the master race rhetoric and the other one who's motivated primarily by financials but that's <laughs> true of the clan that's true yeah. of the clan don't have to look too far today to think that these are the, the, those are pretty fleshed out characters too if i look around today that's uh, sadly the yeah, case yeah I, I, I actually kind of like that because it sort of resonated with what is happening today whereas you yeah. know one who's just kind of using the hatred in order to enrich themselves and the other one who's actually really motivated by it though at the end of the day they're both sort of like cackling you know i want money i want to enshrine yeah. the superiority of of white people you know they they're 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 kind of both in that same vein just motivated by by different things. But I also feel this is a book that's directed towards children. So in a way, having a simplified take on the situation, it doesn't have the nuance of the way V for Vendetta, you know, kind of looked at looked at fascism. It yeah, doesn't have the is. same, but it's not supposed to. No, but I, I, this is where I want to kind of defend and disagree. I think there was nuance. The, the main villain I never said there wasn't nuance. Oh, oh, sure. Fair, fair. Not V for Vendetta nuance, but it's like, I don't think it was Lex Luthor villain. Sure, the kryptonite shows up at the end, but I, the fact that there are relations with the characters, it was very, it, it's about as nuanced as Harry Osborn being the son of Peter Parker's greatest villain, right? Like you had interpersonal relationships, you saw character journeys, specifically with the nephew. I can't remember the nephew's name, but yeah. His name is Chuck. <laughs> happens to be my nickname yeah. yeah and he had a journey right but i don't know i mm-hmm. the nuance was you see the black people defending them during the cross burning you see the white police officer they, i mean i went back and checked like the white police officer who pulls a gun on his superior officer the black i guess inspector or uh commissioner the seeds were planted throughout maybe that's not nuance but it's you know one of the two scientists make some kind of passing remarks of, oh, okay, the Chinese guy's in charge now at the very beginning of the book. And it, it's peppered throughout very intentionally. I, that, maybe that's not nuance. Maybe that's just attention to detail. Well, Yang deals with broader strokes, but superhero stories tend to deal in broader strokes. 
But at the same time, he's kind of acknowledging that there is a greater degree of complexity here. Sure. That then initially meets the eye. So in a way, you don't expect him to dive into like the politics of how the clan works or the Fair. origins of the racism. But he's kind of acknowledging that there is a greater complexity that you can kind of get into if you want to study it more. Yeah. So you need to defend it for me because I think as, as much as I had expected that from the cover, I, I, I would agree with what you said, Ryan. It, it felt like it at least nodded to all the different aspects of it. I will also acknowledge too that, and again, this related to the cover smashes the clan. You know, the, I think one of the biggest challenges we have with dealing with racism today in, in our culture is particularly this notion that somehow racism is just nice people versus mean people, right? Just this reductionist view that I'm a good person, so I can't be racist. Or if you're racist, you're bad. Like it's so simplistic, and smashing the clan fixes it is a notion that fills into that. But we kind of saw some of that come up. So for instance, when Chuck was verbally acknowledged why he's struggling with, with what's going on with his uncle, he's like, I, I don't want him to be evil. So I felt like, oh, okay, yep, kind of talk about it. But you know, in a comic book form, maybe this is some of the limitations of the medium. They didn't really go deep into that, but I didn't think they needed to make it a great comic. It was really good. I want to talk a little bit about Superman's green-skinned appearance, which shows up yeah. a few times. He sees it in the mirror, and then when he hallucinates his parents, his actual parents, Jor-El and, and Lara, they actually show up as green-skinned aliens. And for me, initially, I was like, okay, that's Superman's true form. That's the form where he can't blend in and be this Aryan Superman. That's, that's a form where he actually sticks out. As, as something that's not human in the same way that Asians are, are distinguished from white people. I was actually hoping that Yang would see that all the way through. I don't think he, he did. I think that was sort of like an idea that he flirted with, but decided. No, not. no. Uh, it's one of those things, again, where he planted the seeds. It shows. Planted the seeds, the first... but did he go all the way through? No, hear me out. All he, right. the first time Superman flies and has his heat vision come out, he was flipping through comic books with his friend, uh, Pete Ross, I believe. And after he has the moment with the bullies, he looks back down at the comic book and it's green skinned aliens. And yeah. and so the premise there is his realization is I'm alien. I'm a weirdo. He saw himself through someone exactly. else's eyes. And so in his subconscious, the whole time, the minute the, the weirdo alien ghosts start talking to him, even subconsciously, he knows it's his parents. It's where he's from. And that's who he is. And so... I don't think, I mean, were you expecting Yang to say like Superman really morphed his skin in our yellow sun? I wasn't uh, sure or, what he was going to say, but I feel that that's a cop out where it's mostly like a psychological thing because for a lot of different races, it's not just psychological. A lot of what they go through is because specifically of how we look. So I guess yeah. you have Superman sort of empathizing with it. Which is tough to explore with, with Superman, right? It's hard to explore with Superman, yeah. but you know, seeing as this isn't part of regular continuity, it would have been a pretty damn bold decision to actually change Superman's form, where mm. he cannot hide the fact that he I, is not I don't. Human. I don't think DC is going to let Gene play with the jewels that way. I, mm. I could be wrong. I mean, like, it's an Elseworld story. They've made, they've made in, Batman a vampire, so <laughs> you can do whatever. That's the interesting hell you reaction. Want. They, Robin, have made, yeah. they have made like, Superman a com communist, which that should be another book we communist. read. <laughs> exactly. That's totally. 
you beat me to it because to me you absolutely can do all of that in a comic for crying out loud you for the examples you just cited so so i i would look at that as a choice not a limitation i think i think i genuinely think the choice is the right one it's not about not being bold i think and I'll say this as a model minority, right? Someone who fits in, even though he looks different, even though he's brown, fitting in with white society was all that mattered. Uh, even though I look different, even though my parents listen to weird music and we go to temples with a God with the head of an elephant on it, right? And weird things like that, so to speak. It's the internal psychology that, I mean, I remember reading comic books about my gods, my Hindu gods that I was raised around where they're blue skinned and you know, Krishna was blue, Ram was blue, Shiva was blue. We have a little Shiva magnet on my fridge and it's he's blue and he has the snake coming out of his head. And it's a cute little cartoony thing, but it scares my daughter. And I keep him there because, hey, Shiva the Destroyer, he's pretty badass, right? <laughs> but it's the internal, I'm different even though I'm fitting in and I can't let them know. The, the I think mm. the internal psychosis and the self-hatred, that to me, that psychology of it is way more powerful than, oh, Superman's really green. That's only part of it to me. I, I feel that's only part of it. A lot of that psychology comes from the fact that you actually look different. And for Superman, I'm gratified that Gene acknowledged Superman's discomfort with being somebody not of this world who knows he's not, you know, who's not, he's not human. But my issue with Superman feeling that way is sort of my same issue with the X-Men which is that even though they have strange powers that make them feared and hated by others, they all look like beautiful Caucasian people. They yeah, have the original one. as you know, you might call it, they have passing privilege. Well, okay. I want to take umbrage with two things about the X-Men. One is sure they're, they're hated and feared, even though Thor and Captain America have powers uh, and they're white and blonde hair, angel and Cyclops and the original crew Jean Grey, they're all white people, but they were born with power, so they're different. I think that that's a very strong allegory. But more importantly, when Giant Size X-Men came out and the new crop of X-Men came, the international ones, there was a lot of people who really weren't pleased with that. They were like, why? Like, so you, know, you got a Russian, you got a Jap, you got in Sunfire, right? It was literally, okay, League of Nations X-Men was like what the pushback was. And some of them, Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Colossus, and even Storm became some of the most popular X-Men, right? Leaving the originals behind in their dust. So I, I don't know. I I think the X-Men started out safe, but I, th I think they took it head on. And as they went further on, I mean, they had a freaking demon in their midst. How is that not? Yeah, but that's a yeah. later version. I, I think the X-Men are an interesting case, right? Like, and this has obviously been explored. You know, there was somebody, I, I think Orion Martin who went back and created the X-Men as what if they were black, right? Or what if they were people of color in different ways? And I think I, I, what is interesting to me, if I think about when I look at a characters like that and I think, so if this is 19, I think, well, but it's 20, it's like the 2020. So maybe back when we were doing the Twilight Zone, Right. Maybe back then it was useful to have maybe a sideways angle into a conversation on inequity, on race, on disparity. But if we still feel we need sideways ways in, you know, in 2020, and we do 
have problems talking about this. It's just, I think it, to me, it has a different tone about, well, this is just the way we're talking about it. It, it feels less bold and it feels more, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like really like you, you right now we still need to have, you know, white male characters leading conversations in allegory, as opposed to just having, you know, black characters leading or, or artists, you know, some Kamala Khan, I think starts to advance us in ways that maybe some of those X-Men today, I don't think read as well. Hmm. Do, do you, do you think Superman smashes a clan is sort of a sideways, you know, way into this debate? I, 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 I wouldn't have said that because I, because I think it directly hit Yes and no. So the no part is they talk about the Klan. They're literally saying blood and soil, right? You know, you've got some very overt acts of of bigotry from many different people, not just not just the evil, you know, white Klansmen, but even I, I forget Roberta and Tom, the Lee family. Yes, that's right. From the Lee family to the the neighbors who are black that were coming to help them. So in that sense, no. I think it brought up key dynamics. What's it like to fit in, to assimilate? When does that cross boundaries? The yes part for me came back to the central hero of Superman. It just it was tough to really get the emotion he felt feeling out. I think that was more of a side story. It was a relevant side story, but it was a side story. The main arc of transformation, I think, occurred in the characters. So in that sense, it, it wasn't a Superman story. It was a story about some people occurring in the world of Superman. And so in that sense, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It kind of was a side story. But I think it's it's kind of like one of those side threads in Seinfeld where it comes back to inform the main plot with an exclamation point at the end because... <sighs> You know, I was wondering where they're going to go with like the kryptonite ray gun and all that shit. And and they bring it back pretty strongly because Superman, you know, he would have totally just smashed the clan if it wasn't for the kryptonite ray gun. But if you got to the end and you had everyone saying he's an alien without all the drama of his own internal struggle with being an alien and not his parents saying you're not embracing your true self, if that side plot had not been happening, the gut punch at the end of literally all the adults in the baseball stadium saying he's an alien and the kids saying, ah, no, he's, I mean, that struggle manifests itself at the end. And even the, the grand scorpion dude at the end says something like, Oh, you're actually the more Ubermensch. Why don't you? And, and so it's Superman preaching his morality about, we all share the same tomorrow. I think that they missed an opportunity though, right? I think there is an opportunity that would have been very interesting to explore with Superman, which is what is a, a white guy with all this power? How do they view their role in this? The, this portrayed Superman as I'm just one more outsider, right? And and my outsiderness is holding me back, and I just need to overcome my outsiderness. And there's we all have experiences of outsiderness, even people that are, are like me or others. But what I think is unique opportunity that they didn't speak about is how does somebody who has a tremendous amount of power, who has a tremendous amount of freedom to do things, to be things, gets the credit, the, you know, the benefit of the doubt, all of this goodwill, how do they approach systemic racism as someone who wants to make a difference? Uh, and I don't think they told that story. Well, I think you actually, they, they actually hint at that for a little bit. 
Because no, but that's the, that's the crutch of it being year one. If this were Superman modern era, Superman smashes the clan, Carl, your argument holds water. But this is Superman year one. Doesn't know what he's doing. People don't even accept that a man can fly at this point, right? So. But I mean, it's 2020, right? They could have written whatever book they wanted to. Oh, yeah. No, what I'm saying, the choice of placing it in the 40s was the reason I think Gene Yang sidestepped your argument. He was like, yeah, if I wrote modern day Superman in the Justice League Watchtower and a modern resurgence of the Klan or white nationalism as we're seeing it today, that story, maybe it is being told in modern continuity. I don't. I mean, with the Sam Wilson Captain America, they have done some of that, right? With Ta-Nehisi Coates writing Captain America, that stuff is actually happening right now. But for the story they set out to tell, inspired by a radio drama, they got away with it because it was year one, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think they yeah. had to in 1940 Superman. So here's where here's where I'll disagree with you, Carl. It's that Roberta Lee does does drive the story and she does kind of drive Superman's transformation. And in driving tra- Superman's transformation, self-realization, we get to a point where where perhaps Superman can kind of use his powers to actually to actually take on some of the issues that this book is bringing up superman at this point when we meet him he's very young he's in the early stages of his career and there's actually a line where roberta says you holding back actually endangers people and so this is the sort of realization for superman Mm. that he needs to actually use his powers for more than what he's initially been doing it for and so that's Mm -hmm. why i think it's not just superman as a side character that's not related to Roberta or the Lee family's plight. Roberta actually helps drive Superman's realization. Mm. So yeah. that's my point of disagreement with you on that. That's fair. That's fair. I might be being a little harsh. Well, you know what? I think if you guys don't fully agree with me, you're racist. So there. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you guys watch uh, the HBO Watchmen? Because this actually reminded me a lot wow. of. I have not. Oh that. my! Should I just like not listen while you guys talk about this? Bring it up. I won't. Do I'll, you remember I'm the final episode, spoilers. Ryan, when they came out and? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But it's spoiler alert. Yeah. When Alan Sorry. Moore comes out and he's ducking. And he's like, ah, oh, and he's just like rubbing his naked body with cash. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah. Totally, to- totally amazing. Yeah. They really built the whole series up to that. No, there's this line where one character is talking about Dr. Manhattan. This, so the, the HBO Watchmen is actually addressing race head on in a way that the Alan Moore's Watchmen, you know, that just wasn't an issue that they ever brought up. But. Because racism didn't exist back then. Because racism, yeah, because yeah, racism clearly didn't exist and it just kind of showed up in 2000. But there's a line where one character talks about Dr. Manhattan, says he did a lot, but he probably could have done a lot more. And that reminds me a lot of Roberta's lecture to Superman, where mm-hmm. she essentially kind of says the same thing to him. Though in this instance, Superman is actually taking action and trying to. Seems like he's going to try to address those issues that Roberta brought up with his use of his powers. Yeah, no, I th- I think you're right. I, I want to revise my statement because I think that that does. If I think about well, what is the journey of somebody who has so much power? It's it's a recognition of it, and then a recognition that it is more than just for me and and mine. And when I say mine, I, I mean like my toys. I don't mean my somehow a, a tribe or something like that. And so, in a sense, he looks at it like that. Okay, how do I thinking about myself too much? Can he said there's that line that his parents told him somewhere around like best think about other people. Yeah. You know, you can get mind muddled yourself, up if mind you just, yourself or something. Yeah. 
Right. And it's a little bit of both, but but that was the point. Anyway, yes, I think that he was definitely figuring out how do I use this power for good, right? How do I focus it to see what troubles other people are facing? And that's that's kind of the heart of it. Like Roberta is, in my opinion, clearly the MVP, but upon that, you saying that, Carl, it got me thinking what when comic books do comic books well, or any fictional medium, is when there's an everyman that you're finding yourself in the shoes of, right? You're the one you're relating to. I think the everyman in this book is designed as a Superman. Like, he's the one. It's it's not Roberta or Tommy, even though I did have some relation to the things that Tommy did. But it's the, because it's year one Superman figuring his shit out, you know, obviously his powers, among other things. By the way, worth noting, I loved the, the Lois Lane interplay where like every time Superman was like x-ray visioning or hearing something. Lois is like, quit checking out that girl. Like I just, that spoke volumes. But no, I, I, I think Superman's the one. He's he's the character you're supposed to be relating with. He's observing all of this stuff around him and choosing not to act and choosing not to use the full force of his power to solve this problem. I see your yeah. point. I, I would say that this one doesn't really have that sort of everyman character. I guess when I think of an everyman, I think of like a Nick Carraway type where he's just sort of like this guy who doesn't really affect the action that much, but serves as sort of the witness. Also, the thing about most everyman characters, they don't really have a personality other than to be sort of that witness. But I mm. felt like in Superman Smashes the Clan, Roberta, she had her own drives and desires. Tommy, he had his own drives and desires. Superman, he had his own motivations as well. So I felt like they were all pretty rounded. And there wasn't like any one character that Yang wanted us to view the story through. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Well, that's why you're both racists. (laughs) Well, just because I saw pieces in a lot of different people. I saw it was interesting to see the character of the police captain and how he navigated, particularly being a black character in in a book about the Klan, how he was portrayed, you know, how how Roberto and, and other female characters were portrayed, how male characters were portrayed. And I could see aspects that I related to in each of those. Uh, it, it wasn't even just one character I thought that dominated the scene, which I think what you were saying, Ryan. One thing uh, Ryan texted me, I always try to wait to the last minute to, to read right before the podcast. So it's like fresh on my mind. But he texted me about page 156 and there was an Easter egg, which I, again, you know, Gene's a fan based on that. Carl, did you catch any of the Easter eggs in the book? I guess it, not. When Superman goes to a circus. There is a, a cameo by a boy oh, is it? Well, when I think circus, of course, I'm thinking Batman. Oh, yeah. Flying Grayson's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. They don't say, but it's implied. I mean, he has the green tights, red top, and it's a, a, it's a mom and dad and a mom and a dad. So, yeah. So, you know, just one of the notes I wrote down in the circus scene was it was another moment where just a different character, you saw a different side. So there's the ticket taker. Yeah. Right. Who who was waiting for was Atlanta to give him his ticket. She's standing in line. She's chatting. She's taking a long time. And and he's trying to do his job. He's like, hey, can you give us our ticket? And she says later to was it Clark? Boy, that guy really had an attitude, didn't he? So she in a split second made a decision about who this person was. And then later on, he was the strong man who was in the center ring and like two notions First, she saw him in a different context, and she liked him the second time. She's like, no, 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 can't be the same guy. This guy's cool. That guy was a jerk. 
which was interesting, right? I mean, how that happens. And then also too, I mean, this is the guy who was saving kids and saving audience members and putting his life at risk. And I, I just thought it was one of the things that Gene put in there of how when you make a split second decision, you know, you judge a book by its cover, you miss so much. And not only do you miss it, but like she never got it later. It was, it turns out she just misjudged somebody. Oh, that's an interesting read. I was wondering why Yang gave so much time to the Samson character and what his significance was other than just being a guy that Superman saves. It, it was also Superman's inspiration for blending in in plain sight for the Clark yeah. Kent identity. Yeah. She helped out kids. She helped out Superman. Oh, no, he goes home and he goes home and he literally is like, I need a costume, mom. Yeah, right. Samson's the one who gave him that tip, right? Said, hey, you know, I recognize when people see me kind of weird and the way now they accept me is I wear a costume when I do it. So that Samson character kind of works on multiple levels. On the one hand, sort of on the narrative level, it's it's the guy who inspires Superman to dress up. Right. But he put another layer into it, which I yeah, liked. That, yeah, that's that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't actually catch that second layer. So we're almost at time. Any last things or thoughts about about the book, guys? Oh wow! I mean, like I said, there's so much stuff in here. I thought about maybe using this in some of our conversations. Uh, well, well, I was actually going to ask that, Carl, because you, you raise an interesting point. Using it at work, awesome. That's pretty cool, but. Would you give this book to a kid or does this book just kind of like help us adults feel woke? I think kids let you know what they're ready for by the questions they ask. So as soon as kids start asking questions about people and differences, I think they're ready for books like this, right? This is, this is absolutely, I think a very accessible book has all the right notions without maybe something, I don't know, someone's head getting chopped off and something that you, so yeah, absolutely. I think this is, yeah, I'd absolutely share this with the kids because these are great places to bring out. These are the stories to explain things, right? Hey, why is it not okay to point at somebody who looks different than me? But they might have liked Roberta's character. Or they might have liked one of the other characters. And you go, well, how, how do you think they would have felt like an outsider? The, the reason I ask selfishly is like, I have an eight-year-old nephew who's half Indian, half black, and I'm debating if I buy this for him, you know? Well, what's the worst case scenario if you do buy it for him? My I sister mean, yells at me. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, she does that anyway. He's going to put on the cape and try to jump out the window. That, that I would think, well, maybe you don't want to buy him the book, but... I think it's pretty dope that Roberta got a cape from Superman and turned it into a jacket. Yeah, unfortunately, that asshole ripped ripped the sleeve. He told, which is like Superman's cape ripped. That like even when she was sewing the cape, I was thinking, wow, that he's going to go through a lot of those capes. But he just always, he always did go through a lot of capes. Actually, John yeah, Byrne right. actually had an explanation for it, where why his suit never like ripped up, but his cape always did. And I guess there was some sort of like little force field around Superman, kind of like Miracle Man. And that kind of kept his, his clothing intact, but the cape, it was just flapping in the wind and not protected by the super force field. That was a John Byrne explanation from the 70s, or maybe it was the <laughs> 80s, I forget. I will say, I think this book made a strong addition to a line of conversations that comics have occasionally and maybe more recently gotten into, right? You know, I, I think it would be interesting just 
to look at where comic books have talked about sexism or racism or or any of the challenges we have in society. And and I think this makes a positive contribution. Yeah, no yeah. What I liked about it is that typically whenever you have a minority in a comic book, they are the victims and they just kind of need the help of somebody to save them. They don't have a lot of agency other than being victimized. And over the past couple of years, you're starting to see not just representation as in they, these minority characters are in these comic books, but they are actually doing things. There's an actual attempt to make them fully fledged uh, human beings. I think we're still kind of, in a way, it's sort of at the beginning of that where right now, characters who are minorities have to just be all good. I think... Hopefully, as this progresses and people get used to seeing minorities in comic books, you're going to be able to give them all the complexities of, of humanity, which is that they're not always good all the time. They make mistakes. They are flawed. And, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, there you have it, guys. If you read this comic book, you will help solve racism. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what are we reading next week? For the next show, we are reading Chris Ware's Rusty Brown, an epic that takes place in, of all places, Omaha, Nebraska. Really, really looking forward to this one. Um, every Chris Ware graphic novel is, you know, technically amazing, uh, absolutely beautiful to behold, and um, emotionally devastating. So be sure to tune back in next week for some emotional devastation. And maybe in our fancy higher level educations, we can figure out what the hell's going on. Something we aspire to do every week, but we fail miserably. <laughs> well, Carl, thanks for joining and watching Superman smash the clan with us. Well, hey, I'll give you a Stan Lee quote that I think captures at least what I got out of Superman. It's the one from the end of the Spider-Verse, right? It's that person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it's the right thing to do is without a doubt a real superhero. So I think that's that's about as every man as you get, every person. That's awesome. Words of wisdom All right. from Stanley. Excelsior. Mm. Excelsior. <laughs> All right. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Got a suggestion? Shoot us a note. QTDcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old, and frankly, that feels like too much work. I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm still Roman Suggle. And remember, in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight.